There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. On this week's show, it's all about evaluating your scouting efforts throughout the summer and deciding how much more boots on the ground time you really need before the season opens. Whitetail hunters, they often fall into two camps. I'd call one super cautious and the other cavalier. Or maybe like just carefree would be a better choice of words. This is no more evident than when we are in the midpoint of summer and it's close enough to bow season to consider the real damage you'll do by heading into the woods, or at least the real damage you could do. At this time of the year, some hunters ensure they have a master plan laid out and it's just good enough. They're ready to go, but most don't which means it's time to decide when or if you need to get out and do some more in-person sleuthing. That dilemma, along with what you should look for if you do decide to get out there, is what this whole episode is about. So here's the big question. Should you play it safe or should you stay out of the woods right now? biggest mid to late summer question all of us deer hunters should ask ourselves is how much more time should you spend in the woods before the season opens after all you've got trail cameras out there capturing 24 7 intel and you've been long range glassing with an eye toward maximum observation with minimum deer disturbance why go in and screw up their natural movement when we are in a lot of cases maybe only a few weeks out from the bow opener And even if you live in a state with a later opener like Iowa or New York, where you can't hunt until sometime in October, should you be playing it safe right now? I know you want a definitive yes or no answer, but that's not how this stuff works. This is an interesting time of year for deer hunters because we no doubt have somewhat of an idea of the bucks we are likely to be hunting. And that's freaking exciting, but it can do two things to us. The first is that we overplay our hand and spend too much time dogging them in the hopes of really pinning down a couple of good ones, or we just go the other way and we get too cautious and we decide that the knowledge of them just being there is good enough. 
The hunt plan will fall into place, and there's no need to booger them. Both of these are worthy of consideration. But personally, I always wonder what I'm talking myself out of or into when it comes to deer. For example, at this time of year, if I have a spot where I can watch a big one come out and feed in the evening, I just about have to be in a hospital hooked up to life support to not go. Even in that scenario, I might break free in my little non-butt-covering hospital-issued gown to take a quick look. Self-control has never been my strong suit, and it might not be yours either. There's a saturation point to pressure around deer, and you don't want to be the one who tips the balance just because you really want to see that velvet-racked 150 every night. At the other end of the spectrum is the paralysis that comes with any intrusion is bad, and it will be a net loss in your potential hunting success. This is a tricky one, because extreme caution might be warranted. If you think you've got them dialed, and I mean really, really super dialed, then staying out might be the right choice. But how confident are you in your early season plan? Or are you hoping to sit a few evenings randomly while ramping up for more serious effort once it's a little bit later, maybe in the end of October? What are you talking yourself out of there? For me, while I love glassing deer and checking cameras, I don't particularly like being in the woods in August. I'm not a huge fan of nettles and other Bernie pokey types of plants or omnipresent insects. I know this about myself, and I know that August is a time of sweaty nastiness in the woods. So I can use that to keep myself out, while claiming it's all in the name of being a very wise deer hunter who simply won't risk spooking a big one for silly reasons. This is a symptom of a curious thing that happens with deer hunters. We often shout from the rooftops how much we absolutely love hunting, but then when the conditions aren't perfect, or we are a little tired, or we just don't think the big bucks will be suicidal on any given day, we don't go hunting. Well, the same thing happens with scouting. In fact, it happens more with scouting because scouting isn't as much fun as hunting, typically. What this means is you've got to evaluate where you're at and decide if you need to get out there and look around some more. But how do you decide if you're ready for the season or not? For some hunters, that might be a buck or two that is patterned really well on a specific chunk of private land. That's enough, they say. That's, that's good for me. For the public land hunter, it might be a set of 10 different well-scouted spots that all have a saddle-friendly tree in them, giving themselves some options. This is your hunting, and it's your call. Ask yourself if you're really comfortable with the work you've put in so far and the plan you've got in place. If you're a little shaky in your conviction, that's okay. You've got time to head in the woods, but you want to use your time wisely. For example, even though just a few weeks ago you took note of the deer groceries on the property you hunt, you can really dial them in now. How do the soybeans look? Has the alfalfa been cut lately? Are the acorns really shaping up to be a factor this season? You can also take a look at the water sources you might hunt. Are they actually holding water? If so, what's the sign look like around them? Where the deer eat and drink now, they'll probably eat and drink at in a few weeks or a month down the road. Now this is confirmation time because you'll be prepping stand sites and making your final plans for where to sit in the next week or two. This is also the best time to consider how many hunting spots you've got. If you only hunt one private 40-acre chunk, you probably don't have much whitetail work left to do, but maybe you can mix in some public. Even if you think it won't be as good as your little private parcel, that's probably worth figuring out. Giving yourself real options and not writing off any ground you could potentially hunt is majorly important. 
It's one of the reasons some people fill a lot of tags no matter where they go, while others have to tell you all about the bucks that they, air quote, passed up for the 17th year in a row because they can't actually kill anything. Get out there and confirm the best parts of your plan, but also keep an eye out for anything new or anything you might have missed. The best deer hunters are also crazy good at noticing changes in the woods. They notice that the bucks that were like clockwork in the Milo are now showing up every few days. They notice that the pounded fence crossing that was going to be their number one stand site on opening night is showing a little less sexiness in August for some reason. Instead of walking through the woods just to confirm their deer hunting awesomeness, they're looking for holes in their game. Parts of the plan that just don't seem to be built on a super solid foundation, if you will. The simple goal of scouting right now is to fill as many of those holes as you can. In a couple of weeks, you'll have a maybe pile of ambush sites and a list of absolute go-to spots. Where each site ends up in the order will be determined now, most likely. I'll really break this down in the next couple of episodes, but for this week, think about your scouting efforts like a final inspection on a house purchase. Are you really ready to take this big plunge? And hopefully you are. Hopefully, when you head out into the humid summertime woods, you just confirm what you already knew, and the whole thing is coming together the way you anticipated. But it's probably not. Probably just won't work out like that. You might find that someone else has decided to hang stands in your go-to spots, or far more likely, you'll notice a new camera hung there, or three cameras on the field edge, and other obvious trail camera locations. This happens a lot, and it sucks. But it's also the way of the whitetail these days, when more and more of us are pushed into the same open access ground. If you hunt where others hunt, this is going to happen and you've got to adapt. You've also got to adapt if you're out there sniffing around and you find a new spot that is full of deer sign, or I don't know, you jump a buck or three in a specific spot. Both of those are happy accidents and they've put a few deer on my walls over the years and really can be even more valuable than confirming that there's still a bunch of deer poop scattered all over your kill plot, indicating that, yes, deer still eat clover when we grow it for them. Now is the time to think about these locations, these sightings, the sign, and start to flesh out where you'll sit, when, and why. As you're walking around, you'll undoubtedly gravitate toward thoughts about evening sits on food sources in the early season. The next phase after that is the one that matters if you hunt around other people. Where will the deer go a few days or a week into the season when the hunting pressure really clues them into the fact that once again, it's open season on them? This is what you're looking for now when you're wading through nurple high nettles. When you're sweating out there and generally hating the jungle-like conditions, you're building a plan that will go four steps beyond the average hunter, who I might add is probably not out scouting much right now, besides maybe checking a camera every couple weeks. You have to outsmart the deer, of course, but you really have to outwork the competition to be successful. And some of that happens right now. Make a plan to be efficient and see what you need to see. This isn't just walk along a field edge time. It's about targeted strikes. Swing into the hidden cattle tank and look around. Before looping up onto the oak ridge and then back through the most likely bedding area, look at what you need to see. Not what is easiest to walk through or what will guarantee you lots of deer sign and make you feel good about your skills. If I'm on private land for this task, I tend to carry a floater camera or two. If I find something interesting sign-wise or I jump a buck in a weird spot, 
I can leave a camera until the season opens just to see what I was missing there. If I'm on public land and either of those things happen, I drop a waypoint on my phone, I file it away in the interesting pile, and I cross my fingers. You might be thinking at this point, okay, fine, I'll spray down with bug dope and I'll head out there for a few hours. But is there a better time to go so I won't screw up things too badly? Now, assuming you don't have unlimited free time because you're out there adulting, the best time to go is if you can hit the woods a few days after some rain. Since it's August, these conditions don't always offer themselves up. If they do, I like to head out maybe two or three days after a good storm so that I can see tracks, fresh tracks. In fact, if you are lucky enough to be Mark Kenyon's best friend, like I basically am now, you'd hear him drone on and on about tracks and how important they are. As annoying as it can be, he's not wrong. The thing is that when it's been dry for weeks, most sign looks old and it's hard to read. If you know that three days ago, half of an inch of rain fell, and now you're seeing clear-edged big deer prints on a specific trail, that's actionable. Fresh sign that allows you to pinpoint quantity of deer visitors in a given time period is the recon that should really get your spidey senses tingling. These spots often prompt us to hang cameras, but when I find something that is on fire deer-wise, I often don't hang a camera. This is counterintuitive, but if the deer have been there absolutely pounding a spot, I don't need to see them if they've left enough clues in the mud. Plus, if I don't leave a camera, I won't be tempted to come back and check it. And I know I won't have a camera out there potentially spooking the deer. When I hunt, I want to be around concentrations of deer. And this type of finding qualifies. Even if I don't have trail camera images of 190 inches on a specific trail, I know a lot of deer are using it. That means there's probably a good food source nearby and likely some kind of appealing bedding. Sure, there might be a pile of does traveling the trail or a bunch of youngsters, but there will also be a buck using the area that I want to shoot. That's almost a guarantee. And it's a different approach to summer scouting than identifying specific bucks and haunting them any way possible. This style that I'm talking about is, it's like a shotgun approach instead of a rifle approach. It's not so precise but it will put you around a lot of deer. And I don't know anyone who doesn't want to see a whole bunch of deer from stand, whether they're on a freezer filler mission or looking for a 170 or bust. So ask yourself, are you comfortable with your level of scouting so far? Do you have enough information on current buck movement to plan your season at least up until the pre-rut? If you say yes, how sure are you? If you're not 100%, you're goddamn right, I'm ready kind of hunter right now then it's probably a good idea to get out and just take a last look around. If you don't want to spoil your go-to spot, spend some time walking on a backup spot. If you don't have a backup spot, find one. Walk that public that you know doesn't have any good bucks because the rifle hunters drive the crap out of it every November and they shoot everything. Keep an eye out for question mark spots. And of course, look at your best areas to decide if they're still your best areas. Keep an eye out for new information that could change your plans for the better or the worse. Take a targeted approach to the whitetail jungle now, because the next time you come in, it'll be time to set up ambush sites, and then it'll be time to get out in the woods and actually go hunt. But before we get there, it's worth noting something. Even the best work you do now might fall apart through no fault of your own. This is part of the reason that I think why hunters don't scout as much as they should. After all, some bucks will bail on your property in the space between midsummer and the actual hunting season. They'll have a fall range that isn't anywhere near where you can hunt. And that sucks. Hopefully, 
some bucks move in and fill their place and it all kind of evens out. The food sources will change too, and someone might get permission to hunt the same farm as you. And the landowner's daughter might marry a guy who loves big bucks more than anyone. And all of a sudden, your year-long scouting efforts amount to mostly lost time. That stuff happens, but it's not a guarantee. The bucks you're patterning now, they might stick around, and you might get to execute your plan without interference from anyone else. That's the best you can hope for, and it's how you should think about scouting. You should count on the deer being there and the plan to work. Because it doesn't do you any good to worry about what might happen that you just can't control. You're just going to have to react to that. But you can control scouting. And you can control having all kinds of ambush sites ready to go. Which is the topic of next week's episode. That's it for this week, my whitetail-loving friends. Be sure to tune in each week so you can keep improving your deer hunting game. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening. We will see you here next week. Hey, everybody knows Weber grills. I've been using Weber grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood pellet grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.